Everyone knows the story of Jackie Robinson and how he broke the color line in baseball. But you may not know who Perry Wallace is. He was the first African-American basketball player in the SEC, joining the Vanderbilt squad in the mid-1960s. With us today is Andrew Marinus, author of Strong Inside. Were you surprised at uh, really what a unique story this was? It was the first uh, African-American basketball player uh, in the Southeastern Conference, Perry Wallace. And I first learned about him uh, 26 years ago now when I was a 19-year-old uh, sophomore at Vanderbilt University. I uh, read a magazine article about Perry's first game at Mississippi State uh, uh, and how difficult that uh, environment was for him. And so in some ways, I wasn't surprised as I started to read the uh, research the book because I had done so much about Perry as a student, you know, that long ago. Um, but certainly nothing compares to spending eight years working on a book, uh, four of which was just on research and interviews. And so I really was able to dig much deeper uh, beneath the surface. And yes, I was uh, surprised and just impressed by the courage it took for Perry Wallace uh, to be a pioneer. And so that's what I've tried to do with this book, is allow people to see the world uh, through his eyes, uh, step into his shoes, and experience what it would be like to be the only black player in the league in the in the late 1960s. Well, it was a fascinating story. We had our friend Stephen Travers on talking about when USC went down to play Alabama and the whole thing where Alabama was a segregated team and, yeah. you know, and all that. But your story is really interesting because, first of all, Vanderbilt, that's not a place. It's not like uh, Alabama and Mississippi at the time. It's not a place you kind of expected that. That's right. Um, so, yeah, Vanderbilt, uh, the chancellor, Alexander Hurd at the time, was kind of a progressive figure for the South in, in the 60s. And uh, the school was recovering from an embarrassing episode in its history. In 1960, there were the uh, downtown lunch counter sit-ins in Nashville, which were led by uh, Reverend James Lawson, who was a Vanderbilt Divinity School student at the time. And uh, the reaction of the administration at that point in 1960 was to expel Reverend Lawson uh, from Vanderbilt. And this was at a time when the school was trying to uh, change from a strong Southern university into a respected national University and, the, and expelling Lawson was an embarrassment. So they bring in uh, Chancellor Hurd, who uh, helps to integrate the university, and he's a sports fan, and he realizes that you can send a signal through sports. And so he encouraged the basketball coach to recruit a black player and felt that um, not only was it the right thing to do, but that it would send a signal to the rest of the country that Vanderbilt was changing. And so uh, Roy Skinner recruits Perry Wallace, who's a valedictorian and a star basketball player just across town, in Nashville, and you know that's the story from the institution side of why it was Vanderbilt that was the first to integrate the league. Well, let's talk about uh, per uh, Perry Wallace then. This isn't really what he signed up for, was it? I mean, he wasn't planning to go in and be this great uh, maverick leader that was going to defy the odds, was he? No, exactly. That's right. Uh, he didn't set out to be a pioneer. He was a reluctant pioneer in some ways. Uh, so, growing up in Nashville in the 1950s and 60s, it was a segregated city. And he was a smart kid who saw basketball as a means to an end. He didn't pin his whole you know, life on his athletic ability, even though he was a great player. He was hoping to get a scholarship to a school in the north or the west where he could you know, escape the south. Um, but when he went on a lot of uh, his recruiting trips, he saw something he didn't like, uh, uh, athletes being basically exploited for their athletic ability. And so he said, that's not what... Um, not going to escape Nashville to then just enter uh, that situation. So 
he began to look at Vanderbilt more seriously, which had only integrated uh, period, let alone sports, just two years earlier. But on his recruiting trips, he was impressed by the engineering department uh, and saw the players actually going to class and then knew that his parents would be able to just drive across town to see him play. So ultimately, he decided to take this step to be a pioneer, uh, basically in spite of of the fact that he would be a pioneer, not because of it. You know, was the school, when they were, were going to make that decision and so forth, was, you know, in the same way that Branch Rickey was with Jackie Robinson, were they convinced that Perry was the right guy to do this? Yes, I think so. Um, and he was. Uh, he was an extremely smart kid. Uh, came from a two-parent home where both of his parents had a huge influence on him. His mom was a cleaning lady. His dad was a bricklayer. But they invested, you know, their lives in their children. All four of his older sisters went to college, even though they were a poor family. His older brother was in the military. Um, like I said, Perry was a much more serious student than you might expect of a of a star basketball player. He used to sit in the front row of all of his classes. He would uh, take uh, extra time to go to the library and just read. He was a great trumpet player. He almost played. The trumpet in high school instead of basketball, but he was six foot five and could dunk better than anybody in the school. So the basketball coach pulled him away from the band, um, and just uh, tremendous character. But you know that didn't seem to matter to some elements of, of Nashville at the time. There was a big story, feature story about Perry Wallace during his senior year of high school that portrayed him as the all-American kid. Uh, you know, in every stereotypical way, a picture of his girlfriend stroking his face with a dandelion. <laughs> He's wearing a, a suit coat to school, drinking a wholesome milk, but he was African-American. So the story runs, and the basketball coach at Vanderbilt, people knew he, they were, he was recruiting Perry Wallace. He started receiving petitions from fans saying, if you recruit this kid, we're going to drop our season tickets. We'll never come to a game again. You know, just a classic case of people not seen beyond uh, this young man's skin color. You know, we just talked with Juan Williams about race, and, you know, it's hard to believe that you really, uh, just one generation back, it, w- it was that awful. And, it, you know, is whatever people think awful was in Tennessee, when you started getting down into places like uh, Mississippi and Alabama, what kind of abuse did he get there? Because, uh, you know, they didn't want any part of that type of thing. That's right. Well, you know, his freshman year, Ole Miss canceled both of its games rather than play against a team that had a black player. Um, Perry told me he would look at the team's schedule before each season and look at the road trips they're about to take, you know, to these deep south schools and approach them with the deepest sense of dread was the phrase he used. And he would imagine, uh, what's the worst thing that could happen on this trip? And in his mind, it was to get shot and killed, you know, either around town or on the court, uh, before a game or, you know, during the game. And uh, I tell a couple stories in the book. One, the most dramatic is his first game at Ole Miss. You know, I mentioned they canceled the games his freshman year. Sophomore year, they don't. And so he uh, travels to Oxford, Mississippi as the first black basketball player ever to play down there. And in the first half of the game, uh, he's hit in the face. And his teammates told me they believed it was an intentional shot to the face. Uh, He's bleeding from his nose. He can't see out of one of his eyes. The referees don't call a foul. Uh, they don't even whistle a stop to the game for him to be treated. And so it's not until the next dead ball that the team trainer and the student manager are able to come out and assist him. And they walk him across the court to the Vanderbilt locker room, and the crowd rises and cheers uh, the fact that he's been injured. And uh, that kind of tells you the story of what it was like for Perry to uh, uh, go on the road um, to these schools, which had just been the scenes of dramatic 
civil rights moments just a few years earlier, you know, James Meredith at Ole Miss or Governor Wallace at Alabama. These are the places he's having to go alone as the center of attention on the basketball court with, you know, the vast majority of the crowd uh, squarely against him. And just incredible courage to try to perform as a regular basketball player in the midst of these types of environments. And it's just hard to imagine. Only 50 years ago, we had this sort of awful behavior. Now, what about his own teammates? How did they handle having a uh, black player on the team for the first time? Yeah, they, they were fine. Um, you know, you see the Jackie Robinson movie or read about him, and there were uh, petitions circulated on the Brooklyn Dodgers of teammates that didn't want to play with him. Uh, Perry Wallace never encountered anything like that. Um, however, he, he also, in the Jackie Robinson story, whether it's true or not, you hear about the episode where Pee Wee Reese, you know, puts his arm around Jackie Robinson on the road in the face of heckling to show, you know, that the teammates had his back, or at least Pee Wee Reese had his back. Perry Wallace never was the beneficiary of any overt act like that either. So his his teammates didn't go out of their way to be difficult to him, but they also, in talking to them and the coach, didn't really seem to grasp what their teammate was going through and never really uh, offered the support that they could have. And so I opened the book with uh, just a one-page chapter. Chapter one is not even a full page. And it's a scene of one of his teammates, Bob Warren, coming back to visit Perry Wallace almost 40 years after they had last seen each other uh, at Vanderbilt. And Warren happens to be in D.C., takes a cab. uh, Perry Wallace is now a professor at American University. So uh, Warren shows up at Wallace's office and and walks in and says, uh, Perry, please forgive me. There's so much more I could have done. And in speaking to a lot of the teammates and just regular classmates of Perry Wallace's from that era, that's the overriding sentiment that many of them have is that, gosh, I really didn't get it back then. I've been thinking about this for years and wish I had done more to support him. Well, and what does Perry think about it? I mean, obviously, he's become a success. There's no question about it. His uh, All the qualities he had going into college certainly uh, – came out, he's a professor and so forth. But, I mean, how does he feel? Does he still hold bitterness to this, or or is it something where, you know, he's past that or what? Yeah, he does not hold any bitterness. Um, he's past it. He looks at, he understands the importance of what he did and the history that he made, but he's not someone that uh, is to the, ex, the ex-jock type that only just talks about uh, their great basketball games, <laughs> you know, when they were a teenager. Uh, his experience at Vanderbilt was just four years of his life. He's 67 years old now. Uh, he went on to Columbia University Law School. He was an attorney for the Justice Department for many years. Uh, he's been a professor at American University for the last 20 years. And he has always been willing, even since, you know, way back in the 80s when I first interviewed him as a student, to talk about his experience so that people can learn from it, whether you're a student or a journalist or uh, whoever. Um, he has always said that his his journey as a pioneer uh, you know, it isn't worth much if people don't learn from it. And so uh, he's, he's fantastic in that regard and um, has always been willing to talk to people about his experience, and he's not bitter in any way. You know, you mentioned earlier about him with the dunk. That was one of his moves, you know. In fact, that was, uh, you know, at the time, not everybody was doing it. It wasn't like it is today. The NC2A, though, got in the way of that, which doesn't surprise me. The NC2A still gets in the way of a lot of college <laughs> <Yeah>. athletics. <laughs> Tell us what happened. Yeah, so one of the stories I tell in Strong Inside, which is the title of the book, is that, um, you know, people talk, many people today don't know that the, that the slam dunk was banned in college basketball for about 10 years. And they'll call it the Lou Alcindor rule, which was what, you know, Kareem Abdul Jabbar was known as before he changed his name because he was dunking out at UCLA. 
But a story that I tell in the book is that the rules change actually had a lot to do with Perry Wallace, who, as a 12-year-old kid, was taught how to dunk by David Latin, who started his college career here in Nashville at Tennessee State before transferring to Texas Western, where he was a part of the famous Glory Road team that uh, beat Kentucky in the 1966 NCAA tournament, uh, which was the all-black Texas Western team against Adolph Rupp's all-white Kentucky team. In the, early in that game, David Latin has a dramatic dunk over the great Pat Riley, and Adolph Rupp goes crazy on the sideline. Well, the very next year, Perry Wallace is a freshman basketball player at Vanderbilt, and early in a game against Kentucky, he dunks over the great Dan Issel, and Adolph Rupp goes crazy on the sideline. And uh, that was back when there were freshman teams and varsity teams, and so Perry was a freshman team player that year. In the offseason before what would have been his first varsity season, the, the Rules Committee of College Basketball, which is heavily influenced by Adolph Rupp, bans the slam dunk. And so for his entire varsity career, Perry Wallace is not able to use his best move, the dunk. And the um, point I make in the book is that Rupp wasn't going to have to play against UCLA unless it was in the uh, you know March Madness, but he was going to have to play against Vanderbilt twice a year. And so uh, it becomes fairly obvious that, that Perry Wallace, who's uh, coming on the scene and kind of represents this wave of African-American players who were playing above the rim, you know, had quite a bit to do with this, this uh, rules change. Most people have never heard of Perry Wallace, first of all, have no clue that he was a big part of uh, what was happening in the rules in college basketball. Yeah, uh, the name Percy Wallace is uh, not well known, which is really a shame. And that's why this book, I think, is so great, you know, strong inside not only tells his story, which is fascinating and all about SEC basketball at the time, but I think it's a great read for people to want to understand what was going on in the 1960s. It's hard for a lot of people that grew up post-60s uh, and 70s to understand the South was a really difficult place to be if you, you know, if you didn't participate in this Jim Crow world that they had there. And it was just a guy like Perry Wallace is so interesting because he wasn't in there to make headlines and so forth. There was just a quiet dignity about it, and he kind of symbolizes, don't you feel, like the, the entire civil rights movement at that time? Yes, and that's, that was very important to me in writing this book, was to make it not just a um, sort of a surface-level basketball book that was about games and scores and statistics, but to uh, really place it into the context of the place and times in which Perry Wallace was operating. So, you know, Nashville, the South, the 60s, so many interesting and dramatic things happening that Perry actually uh, is not a stretch to say he was a part of. You know, uh, he entered kindergarten in 1954, the year of Brown versus Board of Education. He was about Emmett Till's age when Emmett Till was murdered, and was profoundly influenced by that. In 1960, the sit-ins I mentioned, Perry was 12, and he would he would sneak over from North Nashville downtown and watch the lunch counter sit-ins that were happening in Nashville. Uh, he entered high school a week after Martin Luther King's "I Have a Dream" speech, and felt like the country was changing and opening up at just the right time for him and his classmates. Uh, while he was in college, he met Martin Luther King and Stokely Carmichael and uh, Fannie Lou Hamer, Robert F. Kennedy. It was a real part of this uh, action that was happening. But like you said, he wasn't, um, he wasn't uh, a militant type of personality. He understood that he couldn't be. You know, and he wanted to, uh, and I say couldn't be because he wouldn't have lasted long at Vanderbilt if he was perceived that way. You know, so he was interested but he always thought a couple steps ahead about how am I going to finish this important journey as a, as a pioneer at Vanderbilt. So he was 
you know, doing very dramatic things, just being on the court was a dramatic, powerful statement. You know, this league had, had been segregated up until the time he arrived. So just, just existing was a powerful enough statement, you know, that he was making that was dangerous for him personally. There was no guarantee that it was going to work. You know, he was, uh, you know, always a little concerned that he could be dismissed from the team for a minor reason or that, you know, he had teams canceling games against him. So, uh, you know, he was a plenty powerful figure without having to be very outspoken. Well, uh, Andrew, this is your first book, which is amazing because it's an incredible book. It's called Strong Inside, uh, Perry Wallace and the Collision of Race and Sports in America. I, I got to say, you know, I recognize the name right away. Your, your father, David, was on. He wrote really, you know, he's written a number of things. But in regards to sports, he wrote the definitive book about Vince Lombardi. And as I read this, I thought, it's that same feel. Is that something? Did your dad talk to you at all? Because there's that same feel of this this really in-depth look that goes, if you're interested in sports, you're going to like it. But it's way more than just sports. Yes. And thank you for mentioning him. We were just out in Tucson together at the book festival there and had a chance to be on a sports uh, book panel for the first time, father and son, uh, together, which was very memorable for me. But yeah, he was a huge influence uh, my whole life, you know, um, reading what he's done and seeing the way he goes about writing biographies. Uh, for the book, it, my book itself, you know, he kept a real uh, distance from it, which was uh, sometimes frustrating for me to have this great author in my own uh, family that wasn't giving me a ton of advice. But uh, he had a method to that madness, and now I can say, you know, I spent eight years working on the book and did it myself, which was the greatest sort of fatherly uh, non-advice that he could have given. Um, but, you yeah, know, his thing has always been that, uh, you know, a book is, is much more interesting and powerful if it uh, tells a broader story and if it's placed in context. And so that's what I tried to do with this book about Perry Wallace, uh, is to make it um, something that would appeal to all kinds of people, whether they're interested in sports or not, and to show the impact he had beyond the basketball court. Well, I think you certainly accomplished that. It's a great book. And, you know, your background really is more in the PR world. And that impressed me all the more that you, because when you write for PR, it's a different type of writing, right? I mean, you know, there it's a matter of trying to get people to think a certain way, whereas you write this book and it's more of an idea, I'm going to put this out, I'm going to tell this great story, and then everybody can get their own impression off it. Yes, it was, and that was a great outlet for me to have. You know, I wrote, worked on this book at night and on weekends, and, you know, I had a chance to be um, in some ways more creative than I get to be at my day job. Um, but, you know, it was very, very important to me. Also, you know, I went to school at Vanderbilt. I worked there in the athletics for five years. And I did not want for anyone to think that I didn't tell the truth in this book or that I was trying to protect a university that, you know, that I went to or, um, or Perry Wallace in some way. And so, I, you know, it was a bit of a risk for me. Even in, in writing the book, I wondered what's the reaction going to be from my alma mater, or the people that I sit next to at the basketball games today that I go to. And it's been, uh, you know, so I, I don't think anyone could question the, the truth of the book. I interviewed 85 people, um, did a ton of research, and, um, you know, I hope the book speaks for itself. But it's been uh, gratifying for me to see the university uh, embrace the book and Perry Wallace and to invite us back to, to talk about it and you know, the athletic director said, you know, uh, we might not have always treated Perry well back in those days, but what's, what matters is how are we today and, and what do we do going forward? And that um, they now, there was a frosty relationship between Perry Wallace and the school for about 20 years after he graduated because, uh, you know, in his final days on campus, he talked, he told the truth about how difficult it had been. People didn't want to hear that at the time, 
but they're willing to hear it now. And, you know, it's been a very positive reaction today. Uh, it's a great book. A Strong Inside, Perry Wallace and the Collision of Race and Sports in America. And, Andrew, if we want to check you out online and so forth, where can we go? Sure. Well, you can just Google Strong Inside, and it'll pop up. Uh, the book is for sale uh, on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and any bookstore in the country. If they don't have it, they can order it. I've got my own website at andrewmarinus.com, where there's a lot more information in the blog about the book. Uh, there's also Facebook pages set up uh, for my uh, myself, Andrew Marinus, author, is a Facebook page, and there's a Strong Inside Facebook page as well. So I encourage people to check it out, and I uh, hope everybody will enjoy reading about this figure that they probably haven't heard of, but it's a tremendously interesting story. It really is. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate it. Well, thanks so much for having me on. It was a real pleasure.